Appreciate it, Coop. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Let's try something a little different uh, than just, once again, giving you the obvious. Everybody in the media is rightly telling you the good news tonight. President Biden announced that by tomorrow, we will have met his goal of vaccinating 100 million Americans, 42 days ahead of schedule. It's great news. Why? Because he has an administration that is taking it seriously, dealing with it on all fronts, and is not distracted by peddling denial. But you do get that that's not the whole story, right? You understand that the vaccine is not a cure-all. It won't get us out of the pandemic, not anytime soon. There are so many out there. I hear you on the radio. I see you on social media. I get you in your responses to this show. Hey, vaccine, Biden's doing a good job. Take the win. Why do you keep saying the situation is so dire? Because it is. Vaccine, Biden, not enough. He's not Trump. He's not going to tell you he's one move away and only he can fix. Too many Americans insist on falling short. So yeah, the vaccine's a step forward, but we're taking a step and a half back. Here's the proof. After weeks of steep declines, infections are rising again by more than 10% in 14 states this week compared to last. More states are reopening. Now, is that good or bad? Look, I believe it's how you do it and how you handle it on an individual basis. The opportunity is going to be there. What do you do with it? There will be more risk if you don't fly, dine, or work the right way. I'm not telling you not to do any of those things. I'm not your daddy. But you have to do them the right way. And you know what the right way is. The more masks, the fewer people in a place, the more distance, the more reasonable, the less cases. Period. Always true everywhere. But here's why we can't get to a better place as fast as we want to. We're not in it together. There is political advantage in keeping us sick, especially now. Politicians are harnessing your, frustra- your frustration and fatigue, which are totally real and justified, to create feelings of opposition to the obvious. Forget masks. Forget it. We've done it long enough. I don't even know if the science is right. I think we're good. People like this guy, Senator Rand Paul. He's a doctor. He's an eye doctor. He doesn't know anything about epidemiology. He's not a disease doctor. But he was in denial about COVID even after he got it. He won't even wear masks to protect other people. And now he decided to take on Dr. Fauci with his feelings about the facts. You're telling everybody to wear a mask, whether they've had an infection or a vaccine. What I'm saying is they have immunity and everybody agrees they have immunity. What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? No, it's not. the vaccine and you're wearing two masks. Isn't that theater? No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater. Let's get down to the facts. Okay, the studies that you quote from Crotty and Sete look at in vitro examination of memory immunity, which in their paper they specifically say this does not necessarily pertain to the actual protection. It's in vitro. When you talk about reinfection and you don't keep in the concept of variance, that's an entirely different ballgame. That's a good reason for a mask. What proof is there that there are significant reinfections with hospitalizations and death from the variants. 
None in our country, zero. Well, because we don't have a prevalence of a variant yet. We're having one. Can I finish? You're Coming more dominant policy based on conjecture. No, you it, have the. It isn't based that we're on conjecture. Variants, so you some you want people to wear a mask for another couple of years. No, you've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks for show. No, you can't get it again. There's almost there's virtually zero percent chance you're going to get it. And yet you're telling people with them that have had the vaccine who have immunity. You're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask who've been vaccinated. No. Let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Masks are protective. And we you have ask immunity. Pe- they're theater. If you already have immunity, you're wearing a mask to give comfort to others. Paul, you're not you're wearing a mask because of like any Dr. sign. Fauci I, I totally disagree with you. Joining us now, the better mind involved in that mask off, the president's chief medical advisor himself, Dr. Tony Fauci. Doc, good to see you. Good to be with you, Chris. Now, I know that Rand Paul is a doctor, but he's an eye doctor. But at the same time, do you think he believes what he was saying to you today, that with vaccines, there's zero percent chance that you need to wear a mask, 0% chance you get sick, that if you've had it already, there's 0% chance that you need any mask or anything like that? You think he believes it? You know, Chris, I don't know what he believes, to be honest with you. I mean, I've been dealing, this is not the first time that we've clashed at a Senate hearing. You know, there is always, as is always the case, a kernel of truth in what he says about that there is protection to some extent after you get infected. There's no doubt about that. He completely does not take into account the variants. He quotes literature, which is selective in how he quotes it. There's a paper that came out literally yesterday in Lancet that showed that, yes, there was considerable protection against reinfection in general, but in people who are elderly, 65 years of age or older, they were very vulnerable to reinfection. And that's the reason why. So I'm afraid if people hear what he says and believe it, and you have an elderly person who's been infected and they decide, well, Rand Paul says, let's not wear a mask, they won't, they could get reinfected again and to get into trouble. So that's the thing that bothers me about that type of an interchange. You and I have talked about this a lot. You're in the medicine business, you're in the science business, but you're also in the messaging business. And he is making a play. And the play is, you guys have been too severe for too long. You're holding us back. And it's not on the basis of just science. It's playing it safe with the science. You're being too conservative. Is there any truth to that? You know, like I said, there's always a bit of a kernel of truth in what people like Senator Paul says. The kernel of truth is that people are tired of the constraints that you have, the types of things that we as scientists recommend. We're not saying doing this indefinitely. We're not saying this is the way it's going to have to be all the time. We're saying that if you look at the data and look at the science, there is a chance that you could get in trouble if you pull back too prematurely. That's what we're saying. We're not saying that it is not difficult to maintain public health measures when you're doing it for so long. On that, we agree. But the fact is, you know, when you look, Chris, historically at pulling back on mitigation, we look at the different surges that we had. It was always at a time when the cases came down, then they plateaued, 
and then they started going up again. Right. We're generally about three or four weeks behind Europe in the dynamics of the outbreak. It's been that way from the very beginning. And what we're seeing in Europe right now, the same thing. They reached a peak. They started to come down. They plateaued. They pulled back on all of their public health measures in many countries. And now they have a resurgence. We want to avoid that. We've seen it before. We've been to that movie before. We want to avoid that. Here's the counter argument. Not all surges are the same, and we're not Europe. The CDC website says a growing body of evidence suggests that fully vaccinated people are less likely to have asymptomatic infection and potentially less likely to transmit. So people are reading that as vaccine means that's you're, true. You're basically safe. Europe doesn't have access to the vaccine. They don't have the kind of PPE and mass compliance culture that we've worked up to now, even though it's highly imperfect. So when you combine the advantages we have that they don't and the fact that we have a lot more vaccinated people now and more people wearing masks, though not enough, that this surge won't be as bad as past surges and we won't be Europe. Right. Your response. That's quite. Uh, no, I, Chris, you make a good point. It's it's absolutely conceivable that that will be the case. And that's the reason why. We go by the data as we know it. When we did the first vaccine trial, the primary endpoint was not whether you got infected or not. The primary endpoint was whether you had clinically recognizable disease. Now, in the data that was collected, the more data we get, the more we see that if you're vaccinated, the chances are that you won't get an asymptomatic infection. Or if you do, the level of virus in your nasopharynx will be considerably less that it is likely you won't infect anybody. Now, when you accumulate enough data to say, wait a minute, the scientific data tells us now that we can be pretty confident that if you're vaccinated, that not only would you not get clinical disease, you're not going to get infected. We're not there yet. Right. We're accumulating data. And once we're there, then the recommendations will change. You know, we keep talking about Europe. Why don't we talk about Michigan? Uh, cases are up 82 percent in the last two weeks. Thirteen days ago, they eased restrictions, even with the case jump. Restaurants, bars, theaters, gyms and more adjusted for population. They have the most confirmed cases of the U.K. variant. And look again, I'm calling it the U.K. variant because that's where we be believe the origin is. I'm not blaming the U.K. for it. OK, this is a very different play than Trump made by calling something the China virus. <clears throat> Um, right. So they're in the middle of the pack in terms of vaccine efficacy. Why are they behaving that way? What is your message about Michigan? Are we all going to be Michigan? And is Michigan acting the right way? No. No, in fairness to them, you have to say it's understandable that they have that feeling they just are tired of being kept down, of not being able to do the things that are normal in life. It's an understandable feeling. And we counter by saying we understand that. We really do. But just hang on a little longer until you get the overwhelming proportion of the population vaccinated. But are when you telling you them, that, are you telling Michigan, chance, Michigan, just to be clear with what you're saying, Doc, are you saying to Governor Whitmer there and there, obviously their health apparatus, public health apparatus, you got to slow down on the reopenings. Is this something that the federal yeah. uh, government is intercoursing with them with? Because they're obviously going in a different direction. Well, I, yeah, I mean, she's a really good governor. I know. I think she's done some really good things. But I am telling them, just hold off for a bit. When you get the overwhelming majority of your population 
vaccinated, the chances of there being a surge are minuscule. So just hang in there. Don't turn the switch on and off. Pull back gradually. Not all at once, everything, all things are off and everything goes. That's not a good idea. There are good signs um, that things are starting to go away. Uh, Families are starting to get reunited again. People are doing it the right way. Mass culture is spreading. So it allows me a little bit of leeway uh, to ask something a little lighter. Did you know that on social media, people are referring to the vaccine as the Fauci ouchie? Did you know that? <laughs> did you have anything to yeah, do with I, that? Someone brought. Was that your no, idea? I did not. Chris, I can tell you it was not my idea. Can you prove it, it was not your me. idea? <laughs> Under oath. <laughs> Are you okay with it being called the Fauci ouchie? Well, if it makes people more good, more uh, tendency to get vaccinated. You can call it Fauci ouchie anytime you want. Just go get vaccinated. I have never, um, you know, I've never had that picture of you. I've never had coming to mind when I think of you pain. Uh, but as long as it's protection, I guess it's OK. Whatever gets people to take a step in the right direction. Um, I want to put a smile on your face because otherwise right. we're crying all the time under these circumstances. Dr. Fauci, thank you uh, for keeping it straight. Thank you for fighting the good fight. The messaging matters. Be well, Doc. Thanks a lot, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. So from a disease not of our own making to a disease of our own making, hate. Do you want to know why Asian Americans are under threat? A U.S. congressman made it ugly and obvious today. I've never heard anything like it since the 60s. I want you to hear it. And then we have to figure out how to fight it. Next. Grizzly new details tonight in the Atlanta spa shootings that left eight people dead, at least six of them, Asian women. Atlanta police say that of the three victims killed at the Gold Massage Spa, two of them were shot in the face. One was shot in the head. Why do those details matter? They show passion. They show purpose. They show potentially range, as in up close and they almost scream of animus. Now, as of right now, we only know the names of four of the victims. Authorities say they're still trying to notify the families of the other four women before releasing any information. The other victims may have been as old as 75. Now, police say they're still working to determine the shooter's motivations. But let's be very clear. What he says about what was going on in his head and his heart and why he did it That is not dispositive about his motivation. He certainly doesn't have a very high credibility index, right? This evening, people rallied together for a vigil and a call for action to stop Asian hate. The reason they did that is it's hard to divorce this crime on several levels from race, specifically anti-Asian animus. And I know that the shooter has given an early indication that wasn't about that is uncompelling. The message is a stunning contrast to what we heard from one Republican lawmaker today. Out of all places, a hearing on anti-Asian hate. I need you to listen to GOP Congressman Chip Roy and the Democratic Congresswoman Grace Meng, who fired back. There's old sayings in Texas about, you know, find the, all the rope in Texas and get a tall oak tree. I, I, I'm not going to be ashamed of saying I oppose 
the Chai Coms. I oppose the Chinese Communist Party. And, and when we say things like that, and we're talking about that, we shouldn't be worried about having a committee of members of Congress policing our rhetoric. Your president and your party and your colleagues can talk about issues with any other country that you want, but you don't have to do it by putting a bullseye on the back of Asian Americans across this country, on our grandparents, on our kids. This hearing was to address the hurt and pain of our community and to find solutions, and we will not let you take our voice away from us. Georgia State Representative B. Wynn joins us now. It's good to see you, B. Thanks for having me on. Well, you wanted to serve. You wanted to get involved on the issues that matter. And who could have imagined they would have affected you and where you come from and what you're about as much as they are right now? Help people understand why Grace Meng was so hurt to hear Chip Roy making this about him and how he feels he's being hemmed in by this discussion of racial animus specifically towards Asians. Well, you know, I think it's important to talk about the context and the history of Asian Americans in this country. And for those of us who learned our history and who experienced it um, through our ancestors, know that from the inception of this country that there has been violence and brutality against Asian Americans, starting with Chinese rail workers. Um, And then we see an exclusion act that was extended to an entire continent of people, the incarceration of Japanese Americans, the rise in hate crimes against Muslim Americans following 9-11. All of those things are part of our history in this country. And in the last year, we have seen the rise of anti-AAPI sentiment and the rise of Asian hate crimes by 150%. And I think it is critically important to note that of those being reported, 68% of those victims are Asian women. And uh, so the statistics are that women are much more likely uh, within the Asian American community to report them. They're more likely to be targeted. Uh, There's certainly a legacy of that. But also in terms of an issue brought home, uh, you have a number of siblings. Is this something that is real for you in your own life? You know, as a public elected official, whenever somebody disagrees with my opinion or my policies, the first thing that they do is criticize the country from which my parents come from. And the second thing is my gender. So I have experienced a lot of targeted misogyny, targeted xenophobia, messages of going back to your own country, though I was born here, I was raised here, I've lived in Georgia almost my entire life. Um, And, you know, it is very real. I was also the first Vietnamese American to be elected in the state of Georgia in our 200-year history. And I was the only Asian American woman serving out of 236 lawmakers up until this year. Um, So, you know, it it, it is prevalent in my life. And, um, you know, related to the elections um, hearings last year, when I dared to question one of the alleged expert witnesses, I did receive death threats and they were targeting me for my race and for my gender, but also for daring to speak up, for daring to have a voice. 
Um, and, and then outside of that, all of my family, all of my friends, the conversations that we're having are, do you feel safe? What is it going to look like for our little nephews? Are our parents okay? Are our friends okay? Um, and, and so it is a very real and very visceral thing. So you get a chance to be with the president and the VP tomorrow. Obviously, this will be something uh, that is on top of mind, but also you are a representative in a state that is really tip of the spear in terms of these countrywide voter suppression efforts. Uh, What do you see as the urgency to head off what is happening potentially in Georgia? What do they want to do? Why do you think it's wrong and how urgent? You know, I want to say I'm very grateful for new leadership in the White House and the fact that the president and the vice president will be meeting with me and other Asian leaders um, in our state. Um, It is different. It is much different from the last four years, the previous administration, where the former president assigned a public pandemic to one country, assigned blame to them, which led to the increase of AAPI violence and hatred in our country. And I think that there are so many urgent things in the state of Georgia, including the horrific crime that just happened here in Atlanta. And I do have to say, as an Asian woman, I feel comforted by the fact that President Kamala Harris will be in the room, given that she is half Asian, because there are cultural things that she will understand that people who are not children of immigrants, who are not Asian, they just simply cannot connect to some of those nuances that complicate the shooting here in Atlanta. And along with the voter suppression that is happening, that is something that will impact the Asian community as well. Um, We know that um, Asian Americans turned up in massive proportions for the presidential election, as well as the U.S. Senate seats. Um, And so all of those things are going to be at the top of the mind as we meet with the president and the vice president tomorrow. Georgia has become a crucible from the election now with these animus driven murders. I don't care what the suspect says. I don't know how you divorce them from the choice of victims that he made, especially with the newest details about how personal uh, the murders were. And the election reforms, what is being fought in your state, will be reverberated across the country. So you're right in the mix, State Representative B. Wynn. I'm sorry about how this hits your heart and your family, but you can put a purpose to that pain, and I hope you do. I look forward to hearing how it goes. Thank you so much. Be well. All of the animus is related. And you are either for it or you are against it. The FBI just released new videos of some of the worst assaults on police officers from January 6th. Now, ordinarily, if there was video of cops being attacked, the opposition party, the old GOP, they would have been all over it. You've not heard any member of that party talk about blue lives that day. You've never heard it in the context of January 6th. You've never heard law and order come from their lips about the demands of the infamy of that day. Why not? Next. All right. An entire political party now stands in opposition to the truth. And we have to get after it. You have to see it for what it is. It's as obvious as the latest wave of videos released by the FBI showing exactly what Capitol Police faced on January 6th. That's what's on your screen. Keep in mind, 
when you see people unleashing clouds of chemicals, ah, well, what is that? Officer Sicknick is dead as a result of bear spray in all likelihood. When you see officers being beaten with poles, remember 140 were injured in the attack, some maimed, some lost body parts. Some will carry the scars of that day for the rest of their lives. Doesn't take a gun to hurt someone. See what the opposition party doesn't want you to see. The dominant color, red, because they're Trump hats, Trump flags. Remember the senator who told you the attackers were really from a leftist group. Remember all the cops being beaten when this same senator says this. I knew those are people that love this country, that uh, truly respect law enforcement, would never do anything to, to break a law. And so I wasn't concerned. He is perpetrating a fraud. He and others in his party are trying to convince that the terror attack, and that's what it was. They're all supposed to be all about terror, right? Not this one. The terror attack of January 6th wasn't really that bad. People weren't armed. Look up the definition of insurrection. Show me where it says armed. It says violent. What happened to the GOP party? What is happening to the Republican Party? The party of character counts is replaced by this guy? And no member of the party really got up and told him to shut up, that they're better than this, that he is not what you're about. Instead, the top member of this new opposition party in the House is trying to rewrite the history of the big lie the same way Johnson and others are trying to rewrite the insurrection it led to. Listen. Donald Trump tried to overturn the results in Congress, and you support that effort. Well, now you're saying something that's not true. But did you or did you not support Donald Trump's effort to overturn the election no. in Congress? What do you mean, no? Yes. Yes, you did. You were on the phone with him, panicking, saying, call off your dogs. He mocked you. And then you still voted to decertify and you still played the election rig game. Come on the show, please. Representative McCarthy, come on the show. I'll give you half an hour. Let's talk it out. I don't want to yell at you. Don't yell at me. Let's go through it. Make the case because the way you say it here in light of the facts would make Orwell blush. They are literally saying that they didn't say what they said. And for you to believe them over your lying eyes. How can any real Republican go for this? Not when the U.S. intelligences are telling us narratives of fraud in the recent general election, the big lie, had the emboldening impact of the violent breach of the U.S. Capitol, the infamy of January 6th, and that it will almost certainly spur domestic violent extremists to try and engage in more attacks this year. When you learn that, where are you real Republicans? You need to de-Trumpify your ranks. Now, that takes us to another big problem that the right is pretending to care about. Election security. Now, 
election security means restricting the rights of minorities to vote, yes. But if it means dealing with Putin, who was caught interfering again, once again to help Trump, but the new guy in office won't placate Putin. Trump said he believed Putin over American intelligence. Biden looked at the same intel and said Putin is a liar and now a killer. Did Putin, Putin just show his next move? We have a former NATO Supreme Allied commander on this. Next. Team Biden is saying no more trumpery when it comes to dealing with bad guys. Today, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken laid out deep concerns about some of China's actions around the world, world of, and warned of the need to respect global order or face a more violent world. We'll also discuss our deep concerns with actions by China, including in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan, cyber attacks on the United States, economic coercion toward our allies. The alternative to a rules-based order is a world in which might makes right and winners take all. And that would be a far more violent and unstable world for all of us. Those words were not well met. A heated confrontation ensued. The top foreign policy aide to Chinese leader Xi Jinping said the U.S. does not have the qualification to say that it wants to speak to China from a position of strength. All this playing out amid Putin's response to Biden calling him a killer. Let's discuss with the author of 2034, a novel of the next world war. Retired Admiral, former NATO Supreme Allied Commander, James Stavridis. It's good to see you, sir. Great seeing you, Chris. Good luck with the book. Um, Hopefully it stays a novel and we don't have to deal with it in real time. Um, Biden calling Putin a killer is likely a reference to his reputation as a former KGB uh, operative. But what does that do for the state of play? I think it's honest. It's direct. It clears up any lingering uh, sense on the part of Putin that he's got anything but a free ride with the Biden administration. Look, I'd call it a honest and be refreshing when the president of the United States does not act syncophantically toward Vladimir Putin. And, you know, Chris, you and I both knew John McCain um, after President Bush looked in uh, the eyes of Putin and said, you know, I can work with Putin. I I see his soul. uh, John McCain said, I looked into Vladimir Putin's eyes and I saw three letters, KGB. I think McCain got that one right. And I think Joe Biden has it right. What did you think of the Trump unorthodox approach of being so sycophantic, to use your word, to stand on the world stage and say, I believe him over United States intel? Was just that just self-serving uh, to protect Trump from any scrutiny of having been assisted? What was the effort of that play and why is Biden's play better in your opinion? Well, first of all, in international relations, I was dean of the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy for five years. I have a PhD in international relations. Rule number one, be honest and direct. It clears up any chance of miscalculation. In terms of why President Trump was so benign in the face of constant 
Putin aggression in Syria, in Ukraine, above all, Chris, in our elections. Um, you know, there's more good reporting to follow on that, I hope. However, what we have now is a Biden administration, in my view, that's taking a very clear-eyed look at Vladimir Putin and assesses correctly he is no friend to the United States. We have got to confront him. You know, Putin is mostly uh, noise. China is a threat. Uh, we don't really have uh, China. Russia doesn't really have anything that we want. Uh, China is a true opponent on a number of different levels. Uh, that was a very muscular response from them today saying, you don't have any high ground. You can't come at us from a position of strength. Is that them saying we hold all your debt? Is that, you know, what do you see them communicating in that? Um, I think they recognize that we are waking up to the fact that China is a looming tower. They are a, a, a serious competitor to the United States. They're advancing in technology. Chris, they claim the entire South China Sea as territorial waters. This is a body of water the size of the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean Sea combined. It's a preposterous claim. But if we were to acquiesce in that, if we were to acquiesce in their gross human rights violations in their own nation, in Hong Kong, the pressure they put on Taiwan, on neighbors around the region, we cannot afford to do that because long-term down that path doth madness and war lie. We need to confront them where we must, find zones of cooperation where we can. And I think Secretary of State Tony Blinken stood up well in the face of a lot of bluster from China. And I, for one, agree with Tony Blinken. I wouldn't bet against the United States long term. But Anthony Blinken was still general. I mean, we know what they're doing with the Uyghurs. Um, you know, some people call it a genocide. Um, yeah. You know, America has not been loud or proud about what's going on in there in any real way. The media has very little access, if any. Should America start calling that out? Should we start demanding transparency? Should we try to get in there? What we should do, Chris, is take it out of a channel where it is U.S. versus China, because we have this enormous, enormous network of allies, partners, and friends. All of NATO, where I was Supreme Allied Commander, Japan, Australia, increasingly India, the so-called Quad, Vietnam. Uh, South Korea. We have a huge network of allies, partners, and friends. We ought to encourage all of them to collectively call out China. And I think over time they will do that because China cannot be allowed to be the bully in Asia. Well, it's got to be a team effort, right, Admiral? Because you know the American appetite uh, for any military intervention abroad is very, very spare. Admiral James Stavridis, uh, I know you're very busy. I know you've got the new book out, again, um, for people to understand that you know what you're talking about and you're always welcome on this show. Remind us of the name of the, re of the new book. 2034, a novel of the next world war. It's a cautionary tale. Let's avoid the war, but let's do it from a position of strength dealing with China. I hope I'm alive just to see that it doesn't come true. Take care, Admiral, and thank you again. Thanks, Chris. I called him the Admirable. That was a slip, but it works. The pandemic, it's kept so many of us apart, right? Vaccines slowly bringing us back together. For one grandson and one grandmother, 
This is a really special way. I dare you not to smile. This is the latest installment of I Wish I Were Them. Next. Time for another installment of I Want to Be Them. This family in Maryland. I want you to meet Shirley Donaldson, a 90-year-old grandmother in Maryland. She got to get vaccinated and see one of her loved ones at the same time. The young man vaccinating her, her grandson, Mike. There he is. And he gave his grandmother the vaccine. Look, she's looking away. How can you hurt your grandmother like that? No, he looks like he did a great job. And the result after it, a giant, safe bear hug. Look at that. Don't you want to be them? That's why we need to get people vaccinated. Mike Reckon and Shirley Donaldson are here with me now. Yep, there's you on TV. What a beautiful moment. It's nice to see you both. How are you, Chris? I'm better Hi, now. Chris. I watch you. Thank you very much. You're part of a very exclusive group. You were probably only watching because you couldn't get out of the house. Now that you've been vaccinated, you can get back to enjoying yourself <laughs> at night. What did it mean to you, Mike, to vaccinate your grandma and be able to sit like this again and hug her and remind yourself of why she's so important? Oh, it was great. Uh, you know, we're, we're a very close family and we're used to spending every holiday together, eating crabs all summer. And finally, we can hopefully uh, resume that. And then today we just found out that uh, my parents age group is going to be eligible in Maryland now. So everybody will be vaccinated here soon, hopefully. Shirley. Why is your grandson so special? He's thought, I'm 90 years old. I don't believe you. And he was our our (laughs) first grandchild. And he's just special. He and his brother are special. What makes him a good boy? He said, what makes me a good boy? Yep. What did you say? What makes him such a good grandson? Because he came from a good mother and father. (laughs) That's exactly what I thought I was going to hear. Well, listen, brother, I hope that uh, I hope that you really get to appreciate each other and make those memories and spend that time. This has been such a hard time for so many I'm happy and jealous of your family. I still haven't seen my mom. I got a sneak peek of her for my birthday. Um, she's vaccinated now. She's got the double shot. I want you guys to be an inspiration to the family. If they're lucky enough, Mike, to have a grandmother uh, as beautiful and as sweet as your own, what a chance to get reconnected. Thank you for bringing us this story. You should. Look at him. And he's got a brother that's just as good. (laughs) I believe it. I, I know they're all equal. They're all equal. But this one vaccinated you, so he's got a little bit of an advantage. He's good looking and he did the right thing. And Shirley... Thank you very much, young lady. I appreciate you watching the show. I need you, so thank you. Thank you for calling me young lady. It makes me feel good. <laughs> I call him as thank I see you. him. I call thank him as I see you. him. God bless and be well. Thank you. Don't you want to thank be like you, them? Thank you, Chris. Take care. Don't you want to be like them? Get people vaccinated. I know it can be a pain, but what a pleasure comes with it. We'll be right back. There sure is a lot going on, and there is reason for hope. But, you know, hope sometimes is defined as as yet undiscovered disappointment. Now, what is that? Just cynicism? No. It means that, like the definition of luck, preparation meets opportunity. You set yourself up for whether or not what you're hoping for comes true. You can't hope 
for a great summer and all these July 4th barbecues. I'm hoping for Memorial Day, you know, to be able to experience each other and make some of the memories that make life worth living when it can be so hard. But it's only if you set yourself up for it. And I don't understand why there's this mystery when it comes to the pandemic. I don't understand why you don't see what's going on, that the science is clear. It's never been about the science. You learn things over time, but it's been a long time that we knew that masks were the right move. The only reason for somebody to tell you, well, they told us not to wear them. Now they say wear them. The only reason to go back a year is because you don't like where you are right now, because you see some advantage of it. And I tell you, Senator Rand Paul, come on, make the case to the non-converted the way you preach to the converted, because they are selling people bad situations and non-science, and it's keeping us sick. Thank you for watching. CNN Tonight is the big show, and the big star is D. Lemon right yeah. now. Bitter party of one as I was watching that video with Dr. Fauci and Rand Paul, as you were saying. What, 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 why, why even go through, why? There's no reason. There's only one reason for political gain, or you're angry, or you're bitter. You're, you're, you're a hater. You're a hater. That's what it is. I mean, it can't be on the science. Look, I totally get this argument. Here, here's the argument I would make with Fauci. I had a little bit uh, with him tonight. You guys are playing it too safe. And this is a balancing test. Okay? There are going to be cases. But the vaccine, the rate of vaccine, who we've gotten vaccinated already, the fact that there is an increase in masking, the messaging has been working with Trump out of the way, um, not all surges are the same. And you have to balance that against the depression to the economy, the depression to our way of life, of or just course. straight up depression. But how are they? And too you're safe? playing it too safe. How are they playing? Better safe than sorry. Absolutely. I don't believe in this one. Playing it too safe. I don't. Agree, I agree with you. I'm saying here's the argument you could make. Oh, is got it. You're playing it too safe. Well, here's so give I'll, me give me a vaccine passport. I want to be able to go and businesses say the vaccinated only. How so about, Don and Chris get vaccinated now? We can go to dinner. What the president said. Give me a patriot passport. Give me a better countryman passport. Give me uh, an American passport that says we should look out for our fellow man. This is not about being selfish. Hey, I got mine. You get yours. That's what people are saying. So if I, if I get this, if, if I get the shot, let's say I'm fully vaccinated tomorrow, I'm not going to run out and flaunt it and then take this mask and just like, oh, I'm the, the caution to the wind. I'm going to burn it. You know why? Because I care about other people. I care about something more than myself. I care that there may be someone who has a pre-existing condition who may not have been vaccinated. I care that there is a woman who is trying to get pregnant who has concerns about the vaccine and may not have taken it yet. I agree. Or a woman who is pregnant I agree. who has not taken the vaccine because she's worried about her unborn kid. I get that because why? I am a thinking, compassionate, empathetic person, and I just don't have politics at the top of my head. I agree. That's what, why don't you be a patriot? Why don't you just be a decent human being and stop trying to be so negative and, and, and get Dr. Fauci or Joe Biden? Guess what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Joe Biden is doing a fantastic job when it comes to the pandemic. He's saying all the right things. He's doing all the right things. He's getting shots in people's arms. He's following the science. He's not giving you lies. He's not telling you that light and bleach and disinfectant is going to help you when you inject it inside of your body. So stop it on the right because the guy you had in the office did really dumb stuff and told you crazy things, lied about you, gaslighted you, and you fell for it and you believe it. And now you're walking around 
and you don't want to get the vaccine. Why? Because you say you don't trust it, but you really don't want to get it because Joe Biden is doing a great job with it. And that is the truth. Now take that to the bank. Now, for those people. Or as my grandmother used to say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Go take, on. Take that to the <laughs> there is that group. And I think Rand Paul's probably playing to them. Yeah. Um, he is. And that is what it is. I need water after that. I know. I can imagine. I've never seen anybody say so many words in a row. The, the thing is, that, don't choke. The thing is that you also have a lot of people who, who would benefit from being incentivized uh, by something in addition to right. a sense of humanity and altruism. Right. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the messaging or political suggestion of that. Because, look, the science, as it's been suggested to us from Fauci and others is that it's a maybe, not a must, that if you have the vaccine, you can still spread infection. It's a maybe. Right. So the argument becomes, all right, well, how much of a maybe? Because you're really not giving people a hell of a lot of incentive to get the vaccine because the vaccine is for you. It keeps you from getting so sick that you would right. have to go to the hospital. It's not so much about transmission. That's what masks <laughs> are about. So I think that they could play it a little bit more aggressively, but that's different than saying, you're lying, you don't know, there's no science. That's, my, that's where Rand Paul and I uh, take yeah. ways. There are different ways to look at it, but you're looking at it as a position of just bringing down Fauci, and that ruins his argument. Okay, how about, uh, let's see, so if I was, I'm coming up with a slogan. So you know how we say, don't hate, participate. Uh, don't hate, if you're extreme, on the extremes, moderate. What about that? But the best one, I think, I just came up with this as you were talking. Don't Genius. hate, vaccinate. Wow. How about that? I can't believe it took you that long to get to that. <laughs> I think Cha-Cha had that in like a project for fifth grade. <laughs> Turned it in. <laughs> Look, people got to get vaccinated because yeah. that's how you get back to your loved ones. I, I will tell you this. I um, have gone over to, which is near where we work, the um, Javits Center. Mm -hmm. Man. That is a well-run operation. It well is oiled. run You'd, well. People and, are not and waiting And by the in way, line. to be fair, forget about New York because that's my brother, right? But Biden's doing a good job. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. His team is doing a good job because yeah. they're allowed to do their job. And the states are killing themselves yeah. to get this done. So there is a lot of components to success. Failure has one father. Success yeah. has many. Um, but Biden is not stopping them from doing their job. And that can make all the difference. And I look forward to this time that I think the media is getting ahead of. The media is getting ahead of this reverse curve of supply to demand. We're not there yet. No. Nope. Um, we have a lot of people who was. want the vaccine and can't get it. You're looking yeah. at two of them yeah. right now. Well, this is what, see this, see my water? It's more than half full. So that's what I'm thinking. It's not like, you know, almost empty or it's more than half full. So the glass is half full and it's not half empty. So I prefer to be optimistic about the summer and I prefer to don't hate, vaccinate. You know, just because you said it doesn't mean nobody else has said it before. That means, but, Nor does it make a genius. You know, I, you write one book. I said and it. And all of a sudden, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, got, we got to get to the news. We gotta Everybody get to the was going to buy it until that. <laughs> D. Lemon, I love you. Thank you for sharing your book with the radio audience today. They that was loved great. what you had to say. That was great. They loved what we had to say. Thank I didn't brother. get to say much, to be honest. I know, but that's, you know, that's a change because usually you talk more than I do. You love to, no one loves Chris more than Chris. And if you don't believe him. It's only because I've got no competition. Chris.
Chris. I've got no competition in loving Chris. This I come in first every time. I love you, D. Lemon. I love you. Have a good night. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.